Hi everyone, welcome to Unpacking. Today, we will be unpacking Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is a little bit of a funny thing to say about a person, but we have a lot of questions that we wanted to get the inside scoop on, specifically about her life and her experiences as, as a Jewish woman. Um, there's so much to learn from her on whatever side of the political aisle you fall on, wherever you, whatever you feel about her decisions, but the fact that there was such a famous Jewish woman is something that we wanted to learn more about, just about that piece that she was a Jewish woman. Um, so I'm Ora Schreier. And I'm Shira Zona. When I saw the news of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, I felt such a deep sinking feeling in my stomach. She held her greater vision in mind when she pursued each of her cases, and she was so strategic about the way that she went bringing about change. One of her quotes that I find so poignant is, fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. This ability to be so focused, she is said to have been working almost constantly while not with her family, which she juggled while in school and working, combined with her wit and ability to engage in humorous discussion, which you can find in videos of her interviews online, is striking. One of my favorite videos that I found um, after her passing, it's a video of Stephen Colbert, the comedian, um, who went to go work out with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She said to have been like super active. She had a personal trainer that she worked with twice a week. And he says in the video that he was told not to press her on any of the pending cases on the Supreme Court, but he had to ask her about one of the most divisive issues facing our country. And then he asked her, is a hot dog a sandwich? And she just stops and looks at him and says, you're asking me? And then proceeds to take it very seriously and says, you tell me what a sandwich is and then I'll tell you if a hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> and they go back and forth. And she asks him about, you know, the definition of a sandwich and it, can the bread be partially cut or does it have to be fully cut? And she's taking this conversation very seriously. And then he repeats the question to her and says, so is a hot dog a sandwich? And she responds, well, by your definition of a sandwich, yes. And I thought it was so fascinating how this woman who is in the highest court in the United States um, is having such a comedic discussion with Stephen Colbert about is a hot dog a sandwich? So we're hoping today to get a little bit more of the inside scoop on who she was as a, as a person and specifically, again, as, as a Jewish woman. So we thought it would be really an incredible opportunity to interview someone who knew her personally, who is also a Jewish woman, um, and can share with us more about her sort of inner world. Um, one tidbit that I heard was that she went by Bubby and her family. And to me, that was so relatable. And I also just wanted to know, is that reflective of other things she felt or thought, or how did she approach anything having to do with Judaism? And just some of her interpersonal relationships that I found fascinating, her relationship with her husband, her, you know, very interesting close friendship with Antonin Scalia and some of these things that aren't necessarily as famous or well-known as her landmark cases. Um, but for, I don't know, for me, that's something I would really love to hear more about and we're excited to have this opportunity. We're gonna be interviewing Rachel Weiner after 
who serves, we're going to share her bio now before she joins us. She serves as the director of the New Jersey Division on Civil Rights. She previously served as counsel to the Attorney General, advising on civil rights and immigration matters. Prior to joining the Attorney General's office, Rachel worked at the American Civil Liberties Union on cases concerning the right to be free from discrimination, reproductive freedom, voting rights, and other federal constitutional questions. Prior to the ACLU, Rachel worked in the Supreme Court and appellate practice um, at R. Harrington and Sutcliffe, where she briefed and argued cases in federal and state courts. She was also a leader of the Firm Wide Women's Initiative. Rachel grew up in Rockaway, New Jersey, graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, and received her law degree from Harvard Law School. After law school, and this is the main reason why we have her joining us today, even though she is clearly very accomplished, Rachel served as a law clerk for Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the United States Supreme Court. Judge Robert Katz from the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, and Judge Jed Rakoff on the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. But obviously, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg piece is why she's here. She lives in Englewood with her husband and three children. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the podcast. We're really excited to have you. Your bio is full of many distinguished accomplishments. We gave a brief bio before you joined us, and listeners can read your full bio on the podcast show notes, which mentions some very big cases you played a major role in. Um, the part that we wanted to really talk about today is the time you spent as a law clerk for Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, can we just start by hearing a little bit about your relationship with Justice Ginsburg, how you knew her, what you did for her, um, what was that original relationship like? Of course. Um, thank you so much for having me on. I am excited to be able to be here and um, to share with all of you. I love talking about Justice Ginsburg, so I'm, ex I'm happy to be able to do so. I just wanted to make clear that I'm speaking in my personal capacity um, and not in my official capacity or on behalf of the Attorney General or the state of New Jersey or anyone other than myself. Um, so just in terms of my relationship with Justice Ginsburg, I was incredibly um, privileged to serve as a law clerk for Justice Ginsburg for the 2011 to 2012 terms. So that was from the summer of 2011 until the summer of 2012. Um, and law clerks work um, incredibly closely with um, the justice for whom they are working, um, both in um, helping the justices to figure out what types of cases the Supreme Court should hear, but then also for the cases once the Supreme Court agrees and grants argument, um, helping the justice by writing bench memos about the case um, and then drafting the court's opinions. Of course, a first draft, um, Justice Ginsburg was um, she took her job incredibly seriously and she was incredibly thoughtful about every single word that went into one of her opinions. And so you would consider yourself a success if the entire opinion had not been crossed off in red pencil and completely rewritten um, by Justice Ginsburg. Um, and then I was very, very lucky after my clerkship to maintain a very close relationship with the justice where I was able to go back and visit her in chambers many times. And she would sometimes sit with me for more than an hour talking about things that were happening in my life, um, places that she was traveling, um, different projects that she was working on. And she always was there with career advice, with life advice. She met all of my children. Um, I was able to bring my daughters to meet her. Um, so I was really grateful to have her in my life for many years, even after I finished clerking. That is so cool. Okay. 
that's not the next question, but I had not heard that full answer. And we introduced this at the beginning by sort of saying, no matter how people feel about her specific opinions or positions, just the idea of this specific woman in this role and, and that being a role model in and of itself is so powerful and that's so special that your daughters got to meet her and they were able to continue this relationship. It really was. Um, and I was um, very lucky that I knew how special it was while it was happening and that I was able to um, share that with my daughters, just how special it was and how lucky they were. That's so incredible. Did Justice Ginsburg ever share anything with you about her religious upbringing or her personal relationship with God? Um, she did. So um, for people who have read a lot about the justice, they might um, remember that her mother was an incredibly important figure in her life. Um, her mother's name was Celia Amster Bader, and her mother died the day before she graduated from high school. She was to give the valedictorian um, address at her high school graduation, and her mother had been sick with cancer and struggling for years and died the day before she graduated from high school. And the justice was profoundly hurt when during um, Shiva for her mother, she was not permitted to say Kaddish um, because she was a woman um, and she did not have any brothers. Um, the justice had had a sister, but she had died um, when the justice was very young. Um, and so she was as I said, hurt and um, upset that she was not able to say Kaddish for her mother, someone who had had such a profound impact on her life. Um, and I think she didn't understand at the time why that was the case. And I don't think she ever ended up agreeing that that was, I don't think that was ever something that she agreed with throughout her life. That was one thing that she shared about. I know that Judaism was a big part of her life as a child in terms of, she recalled how on trips, she would see signs that said no dogs or Jews allowed. Her family was um, very um, aware of their Judaism and it was something that was a part of her life. But she then had this experience where she was seven, when she was 17, um, that she found a particular piece of observant Judaism to be very difficult. I think after that, the justice continued to be really influenced by um, Judaism as um, a set of values. She took um, many of the, um, she took many of the Torah's values incredibly seriously. Her um, Chambers was filled with tzedek, tzedek, tirdof um, in all different um, pieces of art that had been given to her over the years. And I think she felt personally connected to Judaism, but um, she was not traditionally observant. I imagine that conflict must have been really difficult um, to feel your Judaism so strongly and then to feel like you don't relate to a certain aspect of it in in a very difficult moment of life. Um, as a young person, I imagine that was particularly difficult to work through. Yes. Did she, um, did the justice ever speak about the, the sort of like 
holiday traditional aspects of Judaism that are maybe a little bit less specifically aligned with whether a person's observant or not, but more holidays, traditions. Did that ever come up? Did she have a favorite one? Did she talk about sort of Jewish life pieces that maybe aren't tied to a specific observant practice? Um, so I remember when I was clerking for the justice on Purim, I made the justice Mishloach Manot, and I brought them into her chambers to explain what they were and to explain what Humantashin were, um, expecting that she would not know what I was referring to. And she said, oh, of course, um, I love Humantashin. And there was a particular rabbi in Washington who used to deliver Humantashin or Mishloach Manot to her chambers every year. Um, and she, um, and so she knew exactly what I was talking about. Um, and then when I was able to bring my daughters to meet the justice, it ended up being the day after Purim many years later. And so we were again able to bring the justice, um, Mishloach Manot and Humantashin that we had made. And my daughters were able to um, give that to her as a gift. And the justice loved all cookies, not only Humantashin. Um, we used to have a small toaster oven in chambers and and we would bake cookies in the toaster oven for the justice um, to have in the afternoon because there was a certain kind of cookie that she liked in the cafeteria, but it wasn't always available. Um, and so it wasn't only Humantashin, but I know that the justice um, was a um, celebrated Purim in that way every year by receiving um, Mishloch Manot and by um, appreciating Humantashin. That's amazing. It would be like the honor of a lifetime to be able to make <laughs> cookies or Mishloch Manot for Ruth Ginsburg. Yes. I think the theme is pretty clear that you'd have to go with, but okay. <laughs> I actually, um, right after I finished clerking, before the justice had become um, the cultural icon that she soon became, um, one of my um, good fr friends from law school dressed her daughter up as um, Justice Ginsburg for Halloween. And this was before everyone was dressed up as Justice Ginsburg for Halloween or for Purim. Um, and I sent a picture of it to the justice um, and she loved it. And then of course, you know, over the years, she then probably saw thousands of other people dress up um, as her for Halloween and for Purim. Um, but that was the first one that I had ever seen. That's fantastic. <laughs> I imagine that that child's parents, like they weren't expecting her to see their daughter dressed up as her. <laughs> the baby was actually two months old and they oh, made this adorable amazing. costume and she was in her like infant car seat and she was holding a gavel even though she was two months old and it was adorable. That's amazing. Yeah. Something that Ora actually uh, made me aware of that I, I, was, I didn't know before was that she went by Bubby in her family. Uh, did you ever see a Bubby side to her? So when I first met the justice, so I, I had actually been living in Israel at the time when I heard that um, the justice was potentially interested in interviewing me. And so she called me at 6 p.m. her time, which was 1 a.m. Israel time. And I answered the phone and my husband was standing next to me. And he said that the only thing that I said over the course of the next several minutes was, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, and I was then able to um, go back to Washington DC and to interview with the justice in her chambers. And 
at the time, because I had never met her in person, I was overcome by how small she looked and how delicate she looked and how much she looked like a bubby. Um, and I sat and I spoke to her um, for a while. Someone had actually, I prepared um, very intensely for the interview, including by speaking to um, other people who had served as law clerks for the justice. And they had warned me that the justice was very careful and um, deliberate with her words, such that she sometimes paused when she was speaking. And it didn't mean that she was finished. It just meant that she was thinking of the next word that she wanted to say. And so they had told me that I should count to 10 in the interview every time she stopped speaking, that I should count to 10. And only if I reached the number 10, should I start speaking. And so I spoke almost not at all in the entire interview because it turned out that counting to 10 was too much. When I then gave um, advice to law clerks who were interviewing in future years, I told them to count to three Mississippi. Um, but um, I spoke almost not at all in the interview, but I remember um, it all worked out. She ended up offering me the position um, while I was still sitting in the interview. So I was incredibly, incredibly um, lucky. But I remember during the interview thinking that she looked um, so small and delicate and so much like a bubby. When I then began working with her, I learned very quickly just how incredibly strong she was. And after that, I never thought of her as a bubby anymore. I thought of her um, instead as a force of nature. Bubbies are sort of a secret source of nature. I feel like it doesn't have to be a god. <laughs> Wow. Her, um, her relationship with her husband, um, is something that I've, I had heard about before. And then I saw a documentary about her and, and obviously so many articles. Um, and it's been, it's been pointed at as sort of this example of a true partnership and something that obviously I'm very much an outsider reading what other people say it was like, but it, it just seems really special. I'm just wondering if she, if you saw anything about that or she ever shared advice on relationships or marriage or if that was an aspect of of her and her life that you had any things to share about so um justice ginsburg had um marty was truly the love of her life and they had an incredible relationship and if you have never read it you should google and read um the letter that marty wrote to justice ginsburg um a few days before he died and put in the um right beside his bed um and it will make you cry it makes me cry every time um but um Marty died the year before I started clerking for the justice. So he died in 2010 and I started clerking in the summer of 2011. I was actually living in Israel. I um, vividly remember trying to go find a card that I could mail to the justice and then trying to go to a post office and find the correct postage because I wasn't otherwise mailing things back to the US um, to mail this card um, back to um, the justice just to let her know that I was thinking of her. Um, but they really did have this incredible partnership for someone who got married in the 19th 
50s, it was basically unheard of in that it was a completely equal relationship in which they both took responsibility for taking care of their family. Um, and that was really, as I said, extremely uncommon at that time. Um, the justice always liked to say that her children had her evicted from the kitchen. Um, once they got old enough to make their wishes known um, because they told her that her cooking was terrible. And um, Marty was a fantastic cook um, and took over the cooking responsibilities um, from that time on. And actually the way that the other um, spouses of the other Supreme Court justices honored Marty was by um, publishing a cookbook of his favorite recipes, of their favorite recipes of his actually. And then they hosted, um, a party while I was clerking at the Supreme Court where different members of the Supreme Court staff and different justices and their spouses um, cooked different ones of their favorite of Marty's recipes um, and had them there as part of this cookbook launch, which was really beautiful. And the letter that Marty wrote to Justice Ginsburg is included in the cookbook. Um, I think in terms of advice on relationships or marriage, um, yes, um, two things, one um, funny and one more serious. Um, in terms of funny, one of the ways that the justice maintained, or one of the ways that the justice and Marty maintained this equal partnership is uh, through a lot of hard work and intentionality. It was not just accidental. And the justice liked to tell a story about how her son, when he was younger, was, um, what she called mischievous and what her what the school that he attended possibly called something else. And the school would call her regularly to tell her about the various escapades that um, her son had been involved in. And one time when the school called, she responded, this child has two parents, please alternate calls between both of us. Today is my husband's turn. And the school never called either one of the parents ever again because they could not fathom bothering an important New York law firm partner um, like her husband was. Um, and so they never called either parent again. So that was the funny story about how to maintain a true equal partnership um, was with um, hard work and some humor. Um, in terms of advice, the justice, um, regularly said, um, and I think she included this actually in a New York Times op-ed that she wrote in 2016 with Life Advice, that it that her mother-in-law told her on the day of her wedding, um, she got married, I believe, in the backyard of her in-law's home. And her mother-in-law told her on the day of her wedding, pulled her aside and said she had a piece of advice and said, sometimes in marriage, it pays to be a little deaf. And the justice used that not only as um, an incredibly important um, piece of advice in marriage, but also in life. That sometimes if someone said something that is unkind, it is better to just move on. Not everything needs to have a response. Anger, the justice firmly believed that anger was not productive. I never saw the justice utter an unkind word. Um, no matter how much she uh, disagreed with anyone, the justice was not the type of person who would write a dissent um, saying, you know, this majority opinion is garbage and should be treated as such, which many of the other justices sometimes would. Um, and instead, 
she firmly believed that um, the best way that she could convey her disagreement was by explaining why the majority was wrong. Um, but that really was an important part of her advice in not only, as I said, um, work, but also life. That sometimes if someone says something that is unkind, it is better to pretend that you did not hear it and to um, move on. And the justice really um, lived by that in her life. And that was something that she shared with all of us as well. Wow, it's so powerful to, to hear it from someone who knew her personally. Some of the things that you shared, I, I had read in articles or had seen in interviews with her, but to hear it from someone who, who actually knew her is just, it's a different story. Thank you. You mentioned, you mentioned that she um, was very careful with her dissents and with her opinions that she offered. And one of the relationships that became pretty famous is the re relationship that she had with Justice Scalia. And I'm wondering how she managed working so closely with people who held views so opposite of her own. It seems that they had a, a friendship and not just a good working relationship. And how did she manage to do that? Does she have any advice for you on that? Um, so you're correct that they did have a real friendship and um, Justice Scalia's son is um, currently serving as a secretary of labor and he wrote an op-ed um, after Justice Ginsburg died explaining how he remembered spending New Year's together with their entire families and um, Justice Scalia's children would be there um, and sometimes Justice Ginsburg's grandchildren or any of her children, um, and that he remembered how close um, his father was with Justice Ginsburg. And it was um, really a caring relationship. And she spoke about how Justice Scalia um, really made her laugh and how um, even the sharpest criticism in one of Justice Scalia's opinions, if it was an opinion to which she had written the majority, always made her majority opinion that much stronger because he always pointed out um, it, where the reasoning was weak and she was then always able to strengthen it um, because of that. In terms of lessons for how she did that, I think part of it goes back to what I mentioned earlier in terms of uh, the justice believing that it always pays to be a little bit deaf, that not everything requires a response, but also the justice always said that her mother taught her um, two things, to always be independent and to never let emotions like anger take over um, because there was just no place for them. And the justice faced adversity in her life. Her mother died when she um, was about to graduate from high school, when she was in law school. Her husband, who was very young at the time, was diagnosed with cancer. And for a period of months, she would um, complete basically all of his law school work and all of her own law school work um, with it for him so that he would, was able to graduate law school on time. Um, and I think that she really, she never dealt with adversity by getting angry or by saying, you know, why me? Um, and she credits part of that actually to her father-in-law where she um, says that before she started law school. So when she started law school, um, she had a 14 month old daughter, Jane, and she, um, before she started law school had been 
um, I think asking her father-in-law, you know, how would th this be able to work? How was she going to be able to make this work to both be a student at Harvard Law School, one of nine women in the entering class, and also to be a mother to a toddler? And he said, you know, um, Ruth, if you don't want to go to law school, this will be a perfectly valid excuse and you do not need to go. But if you want to go, you will make it work. And that is how Justice Ginsburg lived her life. If she faced a challenge, she made it work. She did not think that anger was um, a useful emotion or um, feeling sorry for herself was a useful emotion. And I think that that is one of the things that really enabled her to have close relationships with colleagues, even who held views so opposite to the one that she did, um, because she was able to appreciate the friendship with Justice Scalia. She was able to appreciate their common love of opera um, and of the English language. They both took um, words incredibly seriously. Um, and she was able to ignore some of the more bombastic comments in his dissent um, or in his dissents that he um, would write. And she said that, you know, sometimes they made her laugh. Sometimes they made her want to rip her hair out, but um, it was something that, you know, she was able to put to one side and continue this really um, sincere friendship. I feel like that's so much easier said than done, mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like something she really lived by and it, it seems more, more rare now. Maybe so people like that are more rare. Um, what are there specific, I guess, lessons that you personally would say that you gained from working closely with the late justice? There's so much here to learn from her, but is there something specific from all of this or maybe something you haven't mentioned yet that really stands out that you personally gained from having this relationship and working so closely with her? I think I would say four things. So one is, um, the importance of words. As I mentioned, the justice was incredibly careful with her words, not only in her written opinions, but also with her when she was speaking. Um, and part of that um, is combined actually with my number two, which is that the justice was very intentional and she did not do things by accident. So she could um, dictate a full page court order without stopping midstream, without using the word uh or um. um Again, she was very intentional with her words and with her strategy when she was an attorney at the ACLU and she when she was trying to convince nine male Supreme Court justices to enshrine equal citizenship for women into the United States Constitution, she was incredibly intentional about the strategy that she used where every single case was building on the case before it and each one was asking the court to take a small step such that overall this court, the court would make a huge leap but not in one step, that it would be very small and incremental steps. Um, so I think both the importance of words and um, her intentionality are something that I carry with me. Um, I think also the justice was just an incredibly hard worker and she took her job incredibly seriously. And one of the reasons that um, why that was so is because to the justice, the law was not 
an abstract principle. It was not a puzzle to figure out. Um, it was not something just to read in a law school casebook. Instead, the law was something that was profoundly personal and that impacted people's daily lives every single day. And every single case um, that the justice considered, she thought about how actual people would be impacted by the decision um, in one way or another. And that is something that I think is sometimes lost um, in legal debate, how um, the law how a particular decision will impact real people. Um, and that was something that the justice never lost sight of. So that is another thing that I will take um, with me. And then a final thing is specifically about um, having a career and being a parent. That is something that as I went back to visit the justice, we spoke about regularly. And at one particular time, I went to um, visit the justice and... I had wanted to change jobs and I was asking for her for career advice and I was a little bit all over the place. I had many things that I wanted to accomplish and I kind of wanted to accomplish all of them at the same time. And I reached out to the justice afterwards and she responded to me over email uh, to the effect of distant as it may seem, you will have many years ahead of you when your children are adults. And what the justice was saying to me was, your career is a marathon, it is not a sprint. You do not need to accomplish everything right now while your children are young. You can look at the full scope of your life and think of all of the things that you want to accomplish over the entire scope of your life not and not feel pressure to accomplish all of them um, in the immediate while your children are still young. And I cried when I read it um, and I still cry when thinking about um, just what an important lesson that was um, personally for me at least. It's amazing to hear how thoughtful she was um, about not only her own life, but then giving those lessons that she learned over to other people. Do you- 100%. And she was incredibly generous in that she did not feel like you were imposing on her. When I would go back to visit, as I said, sometimes we would sit for an hour and she never made me feel like I was imposing on her or that she was something that there was something else that she needed to be doing, even though there were probably hundreds of other things that she needed to be doing. Um, she was just such a generous um, person and she wanted to share her whole self and she wanted to be able to be there um, for her former clerks. It sounds like the fact that you're both women lent your relationship to be something very special and a unique way that she could mentor you. And I'm wondering if um, you ever explicitly shared the fact that you were both women in this um, primarily male world, <laughs> um, or if you ever connected over the fact that you were both Jewish women. And this is not a question that we gave you beforehand, but I'm just kind of throwing it in there to see if um, you have any spur of the moment reflections on that or if, if it was something that ever came up? It definitely came up that we were both 
um, parents um, and women who were parents. Because as I mentioned, when the justice started law school, her daughter was 14 months old. And she was very clear that um, she had certain times where she went to class and was focused on law school. Then she had what she called children's hour in the afternoon, where she was purely focused on her daughter and playing games and taking her to the park and reading books and feeding her dinner and putting her to bed. And then after her daughter was sleeping, she again would focus on law school. And she was very clear that um, she's always said that each provided a respite from the other. And when I started clerking with the justice, I had a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter. And that was fairly uncommon at the time. Um, there were um, a number of female clerks when I was there. Um, I think that there were 13 um, women clerks, uh, but only one other was a parent at the time. And it was something that the justice and I discussed because I wanted to make sure that I was able to still see my daughters. And the justice was um, incredibly open to me figuring out any arrangement in order to be able to both get my work done and um, continue to be involved in my daughter's lives. And so I worked out an arrangement where um, two days a week I would stay really late and two days a week I would leave early, like at five or six, so that I could make sure to be home before my daughters went to sleep. And that way I never had to go more than one day missing bedtime or missing being able to spend time with them in the evening. And it was only one year and I was incredibly lucky that my my um, husband was fantastic and we had a fantastic babysitter, but I was only able to make it work because the justice um, also cared about me being able to make it work. So I think we definitely shared um, not only that we were women, but women who were also mothers and um, wanting to balance being a mother and um, doing a great job um, at work at the same time. That is so cool. Um, I mean, it's not really the most profound way of assessing what you're sharing, but I just feel like the fact that your parenting work-life balance advice is coming from Justice Ginsburg, that's just very cool. Um, and obviously, advice from anyone who does this crazy juggling act that working moms do is helpful, but there's something, I think, about getting that advice from someone who is doing that in a very intense way or has done that in a very intense way that's just, wow. Um, this was so fun and so interesting. No one can see this, but as she's talking, there's a few moments where she and I are both sort of like silently waving our hands and just like, wow, that's so cool. Um, that's, that's, we were saying before you came on, that's something that we both were just looking forward to is there's so much, there are bits and pieces of what you've said that we've heard places, but A, hearing it from someone firsthand who knew her and B, hearing it from someone, um, who kind of is similar to us in that parent, Jewish woman, like hearing that from her who also checks those boxes um, is I guess a little more personal than what, than what we get in some of the op-eds and articles. And again, which rightfully are talking about the scope of her work, which makes sense. Um, but just our little piece of, hey, here's a really, really impressive Jewish woman. That's so amazing. Um, just this inside sort of scoop was really, a, a treat. Thank you so much. 
Um, thank you for having me. I'm glad that I was able to talk to both of you. And I think, as you can tell, that the justice is pretty incredible and someone that we should all learn advice. We should all take advice um, for when it comes to work-life balance, when it comes to equal partnership, when it comes to working with people who, with whom we disagree. Um, there are just so many um, amazing pieces of wisdom um, that the justice shared with the world. And I'm very grateful um, that she was honored in her lifetime as the um, incredible advocate that she was and that she was properly recognized in her lifetime for all that she achieved when it comes to equality. It's really amazing to hear it from you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Over, did you have any last minute questions for her? Well, now I'm I, you don't have to share. I'm just wondering the ages of your daughters and, and if sort of Justice Ginsburg talked something that's like part of your home life. Is it, you know, that's not what Justice Ginsburg would recommend or do they have lines that they know from her? Is she sort of, I guess, coming a little bit back to the Bubby question, that sort of, you know, honorary matriarch of a family kind of, I know you mentioned you brought her to meet them, but does that sort of come up in how you speak to your, speak to your daughters about her and there, do they feel that she's like a presence in, in their lives sort of in that way? So I have, uh, my oldest daughter is 12 and then I have a daughter who is 10 and a son who is seven. And I think that they all um, felt close to Justice Ginsburg even though they had only met her a few times. Um, and I think that they all, they were incredibly lucky that um, their friends knew who Justice Ginsburg was. The book I Dissent um, came out and was popular among their classmates at the time that they were actually meeting Justice Ginsburg. And so I think that they recognized how incredibly lucky that they were. Um, and I think that there are um, pearls of wisdom that um, they link back to Justice Ginsburg that are a part of our family life. We were actually just talking about the, it pays to be a little bit deaf. Um, the other day, I was just discussing that with my 10 year old because I think there is no sentence that better applies to parenting children than it pays to be a little bit deaf, both in that sometimes I should ignore if my child says something um, that is unkind, but sometimes also one of my children should ignore if their sibling says something that is um, unkind and not everything needs to be a tit for tat or um, a huge response. And so that is definitely something um, that my children know comes from Justice Ginsburg and that we regularly use as part of parenting in my house. Wow, it's amazing that it's become part of your regular language in your house. You mentioned the book, I Dissent. I actually went to order that book after she passed and it just arrived today. So <laughs> it it's was, a fantastic book. It was sold out everywhere. Um, and clearly a lot of people have looked to her for inspiration, um, viewed her as someone who was incredibly impressive and that we could learn from. And so thank you for coming on and talking to us from your firsthand experience and knowledge of who she was and for sharing that with us and with our listeners. Thank you for having me.